Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. I just want to encourage you as we're singing, you're good in the morning, I'll say you're good in the evening, I'll say you're good. If you start your morning declaring the goodness of God, you might be surprised how natural it is to declare his goodness in the evening. Because you start your day fixed on his goodness, expecting to see his goodness, and you start seeing what you're looking for, and you're looking to find his goodness. So even when you encounter hard situations, you're fixed on the goodness of God. And so you see it through a lens that's so different because you see the goodness of the Lord and you expect to see goodness. And suddenly you're the person with the most hope in the room because you have the expectation of good. And you might be surprised at how much one person expecting goodness filled with hope could change any room they walk into. So Father, you're good and we're thankful that you're good. We declare your goodness. In the morning, God, we fix our eyes on you and your goodness. We find you. We fix our eyes on you. And then we live, God, throughout the day with our gaze fixed on you. We're not looking for you in those hard moments. We found you in the calm ones. And we just keep walking with you through anything that comes. We thank you for that we can do that. We thank you for your love for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Um, real quickly, before we take up the offering, there are two men and their wives here who have influenced every single person in this room. Seriously, and they've influenced a ton of people in Greenville. And um, one of them is a man that I called pastor for many years, that I still call pastor. And another one is a man that, that many people in this room called pastor at one point and still do call pastor and their wives. Um, and so I just want us to, to recognize you guys. We just stand up where you are. We're going to pray for you. And we just want to pray a blessing over you for what you've been to so many people for so long and for faithfully walking and faithfully carrying the gospel, and faithfully pouring your lives out, and for all the fruit that you don't get to see, for all the lives that you've touched, for all the impact you've made, for so many people that are going to find you in heaven and thank you for things that you know nothing about. We want to bless you. So would you guys, you and your wives, just stand up? One of them is Steve Keys, the other is Dale Blair, and their wives, Becky and Donna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't just want to stand here and look at you guys and not say the things that are in my heart, because there's probably a lot of people that, if they had the opportunity, would do what I'm doing. And so for those that can't, we're going to do it for them. So guys, just extend your hands towards them. Father, we're so thankful for these men and their wives. God, for the faithfulness that they've shown. God, for lives that have been poured out and laid down for the gospel of Jesus. For the sacrifices they've made, God, that people don't know anything about. God, for the quiet times when they've sought you and found you in secret, God, so that they had something to give. For them living like Jesus privately so that they could live like Jesus publicly. God, for the, the times they had to say no to other things because of the yes they gave you, would you just bless them, Father? Would you bless them, God? I, I thank you for, for the fact that you have so much more ahead of them, Father. That, that they would never believe a lie that the enemy would speak that would say that, that, that their time has passed, God. I thank you that, that you're just as real, just as alive, and just as, as excited about pouring yourself out through them as you ever were at any point in their lives today. And so we just honor you for them, Father. We thank you for them. We, we, we honor them 
And we say thank you for faithful men and women. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> so we'll pass the baskets and take up the offering. I'm going to go ahead and bless it during that time. Uh, so Father, just thank you that we have something to give. God, we, we know that, it, that you said that it's you that, that gives us the ability to create wealth, and it, from you, all good and perfect gifts come. And so, Father, we're thankful we have something to give. We ask that you bless it, stretch it, multiply it, do more with it in your hand than we ever could in ours, God. We thank you for the generosity of people that are so willing to give. God, we pray that we would be good stewards of everything that we hold in our hands, God, and everything that we have in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's good to be together, isn't it? Yeah. I, um, you know, this is the last Sunday of the decade. It hit me this week. Patty said that to me. She said, this is, we're, the, the decade's ending. And this is the last Sunday of the decade. And I, I, I started thinking about that. And I'm like, I didn't, 10 years ago, I didn't think I'd be where I am. I mean, I didn't think I would be doing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, maybe the way we're doing it. Um, I, I didn't see that coming. This wasn't in the 10-year plan, uh, but I'm thankful for where we are, and I'm thankful that you're here and that you're a part of what God's doing, and, and I'm so encouraged by you and, and, and challenged by you and um, just feel so honored to get to, uh, to stand in the place of pastoring this amazing family of God. And uh, I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm thankful and humbled for that. I was thinking about, <clears throat> and, and the word I wanted to share this morning was kind of birthed out of this. I was thinking about... <laughs> How much of our lives and where we are today is a result of intention and pursuit, and how much of it is just kind of the way that life has fashioned us? Like how much of where we are today is because we've intentionally pursued the Lord and said yes to Him, and how much of it is just going through life and letting things around us and things that happen to us and our reaction and our response dictate where we are and, and what we're doing, and, and how many people... As you come into a new year, you, 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 you want to change something. Like, how many of you would say that? As you look at the year ahead, you want to change it, right? Not like there's some magical, special thing, but it's like, I think everyone kind of inventories at New Year, like, what do I want to leave behind? But how many of you guys would agree, like, there's things in this past decade that you hope aren't in the next? <clears throat> in your own life. <clears throat> I, I know for me there are. But, but the truth of the matter is, is those things are not going to get to January 1st and jam the brakes and say, I can't go into 2020. They're going to try to come with you. And the only way things will ever be different, the only way, is if the way that we think changes. Because what we think and what we believe is what influences the way that we act, the way that we live, the way that we speak. And if we don't change the way that we think and the thought process that got us to the place that we don't like, we will stay in that place that we don't like no matter how much we hate it, resent it, or wish it was different. Nothing will change. And so I was just thinking about like, man, there's so many things that, like, as, am I the husband that I wanted to be? Am I the father that I wanted to be? Am I the friend that I wanted to be? Am I the pastor? Am I the follower of Jesus? Am I the son that I want to be? And, and, and just thinking about, like, if there's anything in those areas of my life where I see things that I wish were different or that I want to change, I have to find out what is it that I'm thinking that is causing me to live that way or to believe that thing or to not believe that thing. Because if I don't know why I think that way, I'll never change the way that I act long term. 
Sure, I can white-knuckle it for a second and act differently, and, and, and I can do that, but it won't be a long-term lasting change if I don't replace the lie that I've believed with the truth that he spoke. And, and so um, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Philippians um, chapter 4, and, and we're going to read a really, really, really familiar verse, but I sometimes feel like the familiar verses in the Bible get reduced to plaques and sayings. And we don't actually hear them as the Lord speaking to us. Like, 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 I mean, okay, they take, for example, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Like, we will live and die on that verse as Christians, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and that nobody can come to the Father except by him. He is the only way to the Father, and by him, he's the only name by which all men will be saved. Like, we believe that, and when we read that, we hear it as the Lord speaking directly to us, and it's something we believe, and it changes the way that we live. But then there's other parts of the Bible that I feel like sometimes when we hear them, we don't give them the same gravitas or the same weight or the same authority in our lives. We, we don't hear it as, as Jesus speaking, Jesus who is the Word. You know, all, we're, all, the, all the Word is inspired by the Spirit of God, and Jesus is the Word. So it's Jesus himself speaking to us. It's God speaking to us through men by his Spirit. And so when we read these things, like, I feel like sometimes we would do ourselves a favor to, to stop and think before we hear it or before we read it. Like, this is the Lord speaking to me. This is not just like a, a cool screensaver or like a sign at Hobby Lobby or a saying that we quote to people. Like, this is the word of God to me. And when he speaks it to me, there is an expectation that when I hear it, I actually obey because Jesus said that the wise man is the one who hears my word and acts upon them. In other words, I, the foolish man hears the word of Jesus just like the wise man. The difference between the two is one actually acts on what Jesus said, and one just hears it, but then continues to live life the way he was living before the word came. And so I want us to do something real quick. We don't do this ever here, and it's not going to become like religious habit. But would you stand up while we read this? And I'm asking you to do that because I want us to hear this in a different way than we've maybe ever heard it before. I, I don't want this just to be like another verse and another message because I feel the weight of heaven on this. And so as I read this, like I want you to hear this not as like a man standing here reading pages from a book, but know like this is the heart of God towards you. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to read it again. He starts out, finally, brothers and sisters. That's you, that's me, that's every single one of us. And this is what the Lord would say to you, to me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that we can hear you speak, that we know your voice, we hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger we just will not follow. Father, help us to, 
to hear this from your heart, God, and open our ears to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the implanted word of God. God, your word would go into the soil of our heart and begin to produce and bear fruit. God, that what we think would be changed. And, and as the tree becomes good, so then the fruit would become good. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm going to, I want to talk about that in a second, but but I want us to just honestly for a second think about how powerful the way that we think is. Every action is preceded by a thought. Even the times where you think you didn't think, what happened in that moment came because of the way that you thought in moments prior to it, in days prior to it. You didn't just come up with a brand new way of thinking in the moment. You reacted out of the way that you think when you were thinking even when you don't have time to think. So when you smash your thumb with a hammer and that word comes out, it's because that word was in there. You didn't invent it in that moment. Even if you didn't think, the fact that it was in there is because it was part of who you were prior to that moment. No one learns a brand new word when they smash their thumb. You don't go, blicks it! <laughs> you know, like, you, you say something that you already said before. And then you would say, it just came out. I didn't think about it. No, the truth is, it came out because you let it in. And at some point, you made it a part of your speech, your language. At some point, that already came out when you were thinking, so it was able to come out when you weren't thinking. And, and so even when we, are, we don't think that we're thinking, the things that we do are preceded by thoughts that we have. And, and I, I want us to think about this list and just for a moment own it for ourselves and, and ask ourselves, how many of the things that I regret could have happened if I would have filtered my thoughts through this list? How many of the things that I wish I could take back, the things that I said, the things that I did, the things that I didn't do, the things that I didn't say, how many of those things could actually have happened if I would have filtered my thought process through this list before I actually decided to take that thought, make it part of who I am, and then eventually it manifests itself in action. Because see, this is what happens. It's not like instantly every thought leads to an action. It's the thoughts that you entertain and you allow and you take ownership of, and you start to meditate on, you start to dwell on, that start to become part of the way that you think, the way that you see, and pretty soon, eventually, it comes out and manifests itself in the outside. And people sometimes would say, I don't know what happened to them. They were doing so good, and then all of a sudden, no, the truth of the matter is, is, is the act finally went away, and you saw on the outside what was actually going on on the inside for a long, long time in most cases. And we go, they were just, I mean, I just talked to them like a month ago and, 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 and they were this. And it's like, no, a month ago when you talked to them, they said what they wanted you to hear, but they didn't actually speak out of what was really going on inside of them. They had a mask on. Now the difference is the mask is off and you're seeing what has been going on inside probably for a long time. And, and so if we think about that, how many things, and so I want to just go down through this list and talk a little bit about this stuff because I think it's life-changing. In fact, I know it is. And God's been challenging me with this a lot lately. 
So, so the first thing is, is it true? This is usually where most people stop. Because you've, you've heard it before. Well, it, well I'm, I mean, I'm just telling the truth. Well, that's, that's awesome that it made it through that first filter. But that was the first in many layers of filters that that is supposed to actually pass through. And a lot of times, truth, void of the rest of this list, is harmful and is what God would call slander or gossip. Well, it's true. That might be true. But there were things about you that were true for a time that God didn't declare about you because he actually runs his thoughts towards you through this same filter when he speaks to you and about you. And so the first thing, though, is, is, is it true? If it's not, then, 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 then it, it should be discarded because any thought that I have that isn't true can never produce an action that is truth. If it's based on a lie, it can't look like Jesus because there's no shadow of turning in him. He's not a man that he should lie. He is the truth and the way and the life. And so if it's based on a lie, the fruit that it will produce will never look like Jesus. But then there's the next one is, is it noble? And that word there means honorable. Is this an honorable thing? This thought that I'm having towards this person, towards myself, about me, is it honorable? What's true, it might be true, but is it honorable? Because just because it passes one test doesn't mean it passes the next. You know, our thoughts are kind of like little marbles. You just drop them, and there's all these different layers they have to pass through. And if it gets through all those layers and makes it to the bottom, that marble is worth holding on to. It's worth dwelling on. It's worth meditating on. And it's worth letting produce fruit in your life. Because whether you want it to or not, the things that you think and believe are producing fruit in your life at some point. It's inevitable because every seed reproduces after its own kind. So that means every seed, every word, every thought that you allow to come in and then germinate, and then you water it. You tend to it. You actually allow that thing in that wasn't supposed to be in, but then you go beyond that and you start to dwell on it and meditate on it, and you're watering that seed and you're tending that seed, and then we're shocked when it produces fruit as if God's word would be untrue in this instance, and I could actually have a seed that I allow into my heart that won't reproduce after its own kind. I'm busy planting oranges and expecting apples and getting angry when oranges pop up. Like, think about how silly that is. Like, if you went out into a field and you planted corn, and the next day you walked out into the field or the next month and you saw corn stalks popping up, and you were just shocked. Like, I wanted soybeans. Well, you probably should have sown soybean seed then. Because you planted corn seed, and every seed reproduces after its own kind. It is amazing to me, in my own life and in other people's lives that I talk to, how many people want one thing while actively sowing another, and then, and then acting just shocked and surprised. I want my home to be peaceful! <laughs> yeah, but you're anxious and easily upset. And then you get upset at everybody else when your home looks like what's inside of you. And you blame everyone else for the lack of peace that you brought into the room. See, because you're either Jesus or Jonah. You're either the reason for the storm or the answer to it. Oh, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one there. 
I'm t- listen, when you find yourself in a storm, you're either Jonah or you're Jesus. You're either the reason this storm's going on or you are the answer to it. And if you're the reason to it, you could be the answer to it really easily if you change the way that you think. If you would actually repent and change the way that you think. At least Jonah had enough integrity to tell them, hey guys, this is because of me. So many of us act like we're Jesus knowing we're Jonah. Peace be still while we got the back door open letting chaos in. Come on, that stuff's there because somebody let it in. Or it tried to come in and somebody didn't take authority over it and make sure that it had no place to stay. Well, it got quiet in here. Should we get the worship team back up and just start singing, you are good? <laughs> but, but it's because he's good that we actually can change the way that we think. It's his goodness, it's his kindness that leads men to change the way they think. It's the kindness of God that causes men and leads men to repent, to change the way they think. So it's true and it's honorable. Is it right? Which means innocent and holy. Is it pure? Is it clean? Is it modest? Impure actions are not the result of pure thoughts. Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. And so the impurity that you see on the outside is because it was allowed to grow on the inside. Listen, I'm I'm just being honest with you. If you have a problem with purity manifesting on the external, it's because long before that, you allowed impurity to have a place on the internal and you didn't take authority over it, and you didn't take it captive to the obedience of Christ, and you allowed something in the way that you thought that violates the way that Jesus called us to live. That's just the only answer to it. You can blame whoever you would like. The bottom line is when you stand before him, he's not going to bring your parents up and let you accuse them. Because Satan's the accuser of the brother. Jesus is the answer to the accusation. And you had Jesus. All right, get the worship team back up here. <laughs> is it lovely, which means friendly towards? Is this thought that I'm having friendly towards fill in the blank? Is it admirable? That means well spoken of, of good repute or reputation. Is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to do going to enhance someone's reputation. I can hear it now. Well, even Paul talked about the blacksmith that came against him. I think there are certain cases where for the sake of other people who are being led astray, something has to be said. But I can promise you this. Paul said he was resisted and persecuted in every single town that he went to by many, many people. Isn't it crazy that he only found fit to name just a couple? See, we use that one verse as our reason that we can say anything we want about anybody without taking into account the fact that of the thousands of people that came against Paul, there was only a couple that he felt like had to be named because of their influence on people. Be careful that you don't use one one thousandth of that excuse to be 100% of the way that you live. 
You want to know how I know that? Because I've been there. I've used that verse. And the Lord's corrected me. And said, yeah, but how many people could he have named that he didn't? And he let love cover a multitude of sin. You make sure that I'm calling you to give the name and details. And that you're not using one example out of thousands to be the standard for almost every bit of your communication. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little quiet. Now, I, I, I feel like when I, I preached this in the first service and I could feel the weight on it, but I'm telling you, like, there's a joy found in everything we're called to. And if we want to live with greater joy, if we want to live with greater peace, if we want to live with a fuller measure of the expression of God being on display in our lives, then we have to take the word that he speaks and actually live by it, not just nod our heads to it. Not just nod in agreement and then go and live differently. We have to actually take what he's saying and allow what he's saying to cause us to live differently. We're called to be a peculiar people. There's nothing peculiar about the way that we react to things sometimes. Jesus was talking about this. Look, it happened to everybody. It's not like this is new to the church today. Jesus was talking to people thousands of years ago, and he said, listen, what good is it if you love those who love you in return? Don't even the Gentiles, don't even the tax collectors, don't even those who don't know God as their father and wouldn't say that they've denied themselves, laid down their lives, and are following Jesus. Don't even they do that? But I tell you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Is it excellent? That means of valor. And last, is it praiseworthy? Is it a commendable thing that's worthy to be praised? So if I run my thoughts through this filter, how many of the thoughts that I allow myself to think that lead to the words that I allow myself to say or the actions that I allow myself to do would actually manifest? Hopefully a lot. Because I'm called to follow Jesus and he lived his life this way. And then he said, follow me. And his word says that those who claim the name of Christ must in this life walk as he walked. Not just sing about him. Walk as he walked. And so there's, there's two things that, that really God's been challenging me with that I, I want to share with you. And I, I, I do feel like it's a word for our, for our church family. And I think it's something that God is inviting all of us into because we're, we're, I mean, right now, just so many people are naturally thinking we're moving in and we're moving out of a decade. We're moving out of a year. We're moving into something new. We're coming into 2020. And there's a lot of excitement about the year ahead. And, and that's awesome. You should have excitement about the year ahead because it's going to be full of him. You should have your hopes up because the one who is hope is walking in front of you and leading the way. And he's called you into hope. You're a prisoner of hope. That means no matter what you do, you can't get away from hope because hope has a name and his name is Jesus and he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. The first is this. Because here's the thing. So, so I, I'm not saying that things won't happen that we ever have to like think about or deal with that aren't lovely, excellent, worthy of praise or any of that because we live in a fallen world and people do fallen things. And sometimes we end up walking into a mess and we have to help straighten up the mess. But even in those times when we're dealing with a bad situation, we're dealing with something that's not good, the way that we think towards the people and towards the situation has to run through those filters. It still has to run through the gospel. 
Just because what people are doing isn't good doesn't mean that we're called to live differently. In fact, you may be called to put Jesus on display more in those instances than when you're surrounded by a bunch of Christians saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Because when you're surrounded by a bunch of people saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and having a positive attitude and having hope and speaking truth and walking in love doesn't really stand out. But when you walk into the middle of a mess where nobody is, has hope, nobody's walking in love, and everybody's living for themselves and selfishly, one person living like Jesus makes a big difference in that situation. And it actually puts him on display as his life has lived through you. So the first thing that, that I feel like, and when I, even when I'm dealing with those situations, so, so even when I'm dealing with the hardest things, the worst things, the, the things that I wish I didn't have to talk to people about or that I wish I didn't have to deal with or that I wish it wouldn't, wouldn't, that I wouldn't do or I wouldn't say is, the first thing is, is the way that I'm thinking towards this, does it require faith? Does the way that I, that I think towards this situation or about this person, does it require faith? Because you know what doesn't require faith in Jesus? Is saying they're never going to change. That requires no faith in Jesus. That doesn't require the gospel in the least bit. That doesn't require me to remember that Saul's can become Paul's with one encounter with the, with the, with the God of the universe. That doesn't require that I remember that there was a time where I was an enemy towards him in my mind, and before I did the first thing right, he looked towards me with faith and believed I was capable of more when I didn't believe I was capable of more myself. He's the God of all hope. He is faith. He's full of faith. He looked at you at your worst moment and saw you at your best and thought that your life lived was worth his life, son's life laid down for you. That's because he's full of faith. Is the way that I think about this person, this situation, you fill in the blank with whatever it is, my own actions, my own life, the, the, the career that I'm in, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. When I'm thinking about even hard things, I'm still called to think about them through this filter, and I'm called to think about them through the lens of the gospel. Jesus is supposed to be the light that illuminates and if our eye is single, then our whole, in other words, if we only see one way, then our whole body is flooded with light. If we only see things through the gospel, it will never bring us to a place of hopelessness. It will never bring us to a place where we are looking at something and completely devoid of faith and saying it'll never be different. It will never change. They will never. I've told it a thousand times. I've talked to this expert and that expert and blah, 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 blah. Because there's one thing that trumps every bit of all the stuff that I just said, and it's this, that Jesus Christ, the man himself, can touch that person's life, and in an instant, they can go from who they were to who they were meant to be, just like that. Because Saul is on his way to go and kill the people that he would then lay his life down for. He's not doing the first thing right. In fact, he doesn't even know it, but he's coming against the Lord. Think about that. This is a scary thing because Saul, when he's, Paul, when he's giving his qualifications, says, I was born to this tribe and I was circumcised on the eighth day and as to the law, I was perfect. And I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied under Gamaliel, which was the greatest teacher of the time until Jesus came along. And he had all the pedigree, would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, knew the Pentateuch by heart, could start in Genesis and memorize all the books of the Bible. And yet, when Jesus speaks to him, he doesn't know Jesus. Because he says, who are you, Lord? Being in the right family, going to the right church, and memorizing the scriptures does not guarantee you a relationship with him. 
Knowing Him does. Knowing Him. Intimacy with Him. Being alone with Him. Knowing Him through His Word. Not knowing the Word so that you can defeat people in arguments. Not knowing the words so you can try to justify you having an ungospel-like and unchrist-like attitude towards people. Come on, we've used the word of God for so many things it was never meant for. It was meant to make us like him. So is the way that I think requiring faith? And then the next thing is, is does the way that I'm thinking require grace? I want to back up to the faith thing. It says in the Word that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That means if the way that I think towards a person, a situation, or my own self is lacking faith, the way that I think is not pleasing to the Lord. And so if that's the truth, and I look at a situation and I don't have faith, then that means that I haven't heard Him speak about it because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so that means if I look at a situation, whether it's within me, whether it's within my family, whether it's in relationships, whether no matter what it is, if I look at a situation and the way that I think towards it doesn't have faith required to think that way, then I haven't heard him speak. I need to get alone with him, get in his word, hear him speak, and then I can respond and I can live by faith towards that situation because I've heard the Father speak. And my trust and my faith is now in him instead of in everything but him. Be careful, because there's a lot of people out there that in the name of Christianity will give you a lot of advice that you can't find in the life of Jesus and you can't find in the, in the Gospels. As if we've come up with a better way to minister. You, you, you're, not one person did Jesus ever say, well, there's an answer, but it's not me, it's something else, and I have to lead you to that. He believed he was the answer to everything. We would do well to adopt that mindset and let this mind that was in Christ be also in us. And if he believed he was the answer to everything that he faced, we should probably believe he's the answer to everything that anybody faces until he says differently. Spoiler, he's not going to. His mind's pretty well made up. And then I'm asking myself, because I'm asking myself this, I'm, uh, even when I look at the building, is the way that I look at, at the building that we need requiring faith? Yes, it's requiring a ton of faith. But how do I have that faith? Because I know that I've heard him speak, and so I can anchor on his voice, and I can look towards it with eyes of faith. And even when I don't see how, and even when I don't see it, I know he's working. See, we sing these songs here. Even when I don't see it, you're working. But then we look, and we don't see something, and we forget about the fact that God's working. And we get hopeless. Never let yourself look at anybody else with a lack of hope because it will let that seed of hope start to germinate inside of you and sooner or later it will lead to you being hopeless about something in your own life. The minute you give yourself permission to look at one other person and think that they are hopeless, you have now let the thought that somebody is beyond God's ability or desire to reach enter into your thinking and sooner or later it will work its way into you thinking about your own situation. I promise you, you can't compartmentalize that stuff and just believe it for other people without it working its way into the way that you think about you and your life. Don't let that seed fall on, on good ground. You harden your heart to anything that doesn't sound like the gospel. You take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Can I obey Christ and think this way? The answer is no, cast it out, get rid of it. Don't give it any space. Come on, what, what, what else are we, I mean, think about it. 
Like, we're in 2020 almost. How many of you guys remember Y2K? That was going to be a big deal, remember? That was 20 years ago. It's a vapor. It's so quick. Why would we allow ourselves mindsets that let us live less than Jesus and make us comfortable doing so and give us reasons that we can't be who he clearly stated we could be when he said, follow me? This is what God's challenging me with. I'm saying this stuff passionately because this is what he's talking to me about when I'm alone with him. I keep hearing that line echo over and over in my head, only a moment to live this life like shooting stars, burning up the night till, we, till heaven's open and we arrive in his presence. That, that thing haunts me all the time. It's like only a moment. What do you have? You have this moment. That's all you have is right now to leave a legacy, to live like Jesus, to lay your life down and to spend it on people and to live for the gospel. And then it's over before you know it and you're standing face to face in front of him. And all those things that kept you from living like him won't stand when you look into the eyes of love that look back at you. Let that thing get inside of your heart. Let it grip you. I'm asking God to let it just grip me even more and more and more and more and more because I, I know I'm not there yet. I know that there's so much more that I could give. There's so many things that I could do. There's so much that I can grow in, but I don't let that stuff condemn me because I know it's not about where I'm not. It's about seeing where I can be and then running after Jesus and saying, I'm not going to stop until I find what I'm looking for and I'm, what I'm looking for is you. Come on, let, there's a lot of things that need to die in 2019. Let them die. Let thinking worldly wisdom die. It's demonic. The wisdom that is from above, peaceable, love, pure, that's good. The wisdom from this world that's sensual, I mean based on the senses and feelings, that stuff's not from heaven. And in the end, James says it's demonic. The reason it's demonic is because it keeps people from living like Jesus because it gives them reasons that they can't. And it tells them, well, that's because of this and that. And we point and we find and we accuse and we blame and we go through all these crazy steps and we look no more like Jesus at the end of it because Jesus never called us to do that stuff. And he's standing there waiting while we take the long way around and then get back and he'll look at us and be like, are you done? You need to go explore more back there because I'm going this way and I can't walk that way without you. So you go ahead and do your thing. I'll be here waiting when you get back. It doesn't take grace to hold what someone has done against them and to see them for what they've done wrong. That doesn't take any grace. I wake up in the morning and I thank God for the very grace that I'm tempted to deny to another person. That crushed me one time. I literally was finding myself having an attitude towards somebody that was completely devoid of the grace that I thanked him for that morning as if what they did to me far outweighed what I did to him. Start asking ourselves that. Does it take grace for me to think this way? Does it take grace for me to have this attitude? Is there grace required for me to believe this about that person, about that situation, or even about myself, and maybe especially about myself? Because if I can't believe it for me, sometimes it's going to be really hard for me to believe it for you. That's why it's good to wake up in the morning and remind myself that there's fresh mercy from heaven flowing towards me today. 
And that way I can go out and I can have fresh mercy that day flowing towards people. And I'm not going, well, I heard that yesterday, or you said this before. Yeah, I've heard this a hundred times. Imagine if the Lord gave himself the liberty to take that attitude with you and me. Imagine if he gave himself the liberty when you came to him for that thing that you've come to him over and over again, and he crossed his arms and looked at you and said, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. But then we do that with people, all the while thanking him that he doesn't do that to us. And then we say we're following Jesus. Come on, this is challenging me. Like, I don't, I'm not condemning. I'm saying, like, let this convict if it needs to convict and let it call us into what's available because that is not how we're called to live. We're called to live what we see Jesus and then we respond to people the way he responds to us. If you can't find it in his life and the example that he gave, you probably shouldn't give it permission in yours. Don't blame other people because when you stand before him, you're going to stand there by yourself. And you'll answer by yourself. He's not going to take any excuses about what people did or didn't do into account for the way that you followed him and gave your life for him. So if it won't be valid that day, don't let it be valid this day. We would do well with that. Only allow the excuses today that will be valid that day. Your excuse, take that excuse, stand before the throne of Jesus on judgment day. When you get judged for your works, not judged for heaven or hell, if you're a believer in Jesus, you'll be there and, and you're going to go in. But, but, but will that excuse, excuse, will he look at me when I give him that excuse and say, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. If I'd have known they were going to do that, I would never would have called you to what I called you to. Forgive me. Come on in. No, he's not going to say that then. We probably shouldn't pretend he would say that today. See, because we allow ourselves, and we don't even know the end from the beginning, we allow ourselves to make judgments towards people and say things about people and towards people that he would never say towards them and would have every right to say because he actually knows if they'll ever change or not. And then we stand here and say they'll never change. They'll always be the same. And if I would have known... Just think about that. You, you've regretted loving somebody because of the way they responded. And yet Jesus said, I'm telling you, love those people. If I'd have known they were going to do this, I never would have. Well, Jesus knew and he did. And he said, follow me. If I'd have known they were going to treat me that way, I never would have. But Jesus knew that they were going to treat him that way and he did. And then he said, follow me. Where does that leave our excuses? Come on, I'm not saying this stuff to be harsh. I'm saying this stuff because we need to actually consider these things because Philippians, right before all this stuff, tells us to consider Jesus and to let this mind which was in Christ be also in you. What's he saying? Let the way that Jesus thought be the way that you think so that the way Jesus lived will become the way that you live. That's what he's talking about when he says that his thoughts and ways are higher. He's not saying like, nah, 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 I'm in heaven and you're down there and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, loser. Well, that's how we preach it. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, let the wicked man abandon his thoughts and the foolish man his ways. For my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord God. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As, higher than, as the heaven is from the earth, so are my thoughts higher than yours. What did he say right before he told you how much different the thoughts are? He said, you, if you're thinking wickedly and foolishly and acting foolishly, abandon that stuff because my way of thinking and my way of living is so much higher. He's not saying abandon that. This is better. You can't have this and just have nothing. But that's how we preach it sometimes. Well, you know, his ways and thoughts. Yeah. He invited you into those ways and thoughts. He told you to abandon yours because his are better. Think about what a horrible father I would be if Jackson had a toy. 
And it was kind of a crummy toy, but it was his toy. And I walked up to him and I said, dude, that thing is a piece of junk. I've got toys that are way better than those toys. Why don't you throw that thing out? Because what I have is way better. So Jackson goes, throws his toy away and then looks at me and I go, oh, you think I'm going to give you one of my toys? No. I just wanted you to know your toy was horrible and mine was better. And I walk off and leave him there with nothing. That's what it's like if we take that to mean that God is taunting us with how much higher his thoughts and ways are. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what I have is so much better. Get rid of what you have because what I'm offering you is so much better. Don't, don't let that verse just be used at a funeral when we don't understand why somebody died. Because that's not even the context of what he was saying. He says, let the wicked man abandon his thoughts or the foolish man abandon his ways. For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. What's he saying? Get rid of that and take, take what I'm offering. Let this mind, which was in Christ, be also in you. In other words, let the way that he thought be the way that you think and then the way that he lived will become the way that we live. What if we just took this into 2020 and just decided, you know what, I'm starting over and taking an inventory of the way that I think, and I'm going to ask myself, is the way that I think influenced by the gospel, or is it influenced by anything else? And if it's influenced by anything but Jesus, anything but the gospel, anything but his word and his truth, I'm going to scrap it, abandon it, get rid of it, because what he has is better. I'll close up with that. That's a good thought. That's a really good thought. Why don't you just stand up right where you're at? Father, we're standing here before you because every single one of us, as we hear your voice today, knows there's areas of our lives where the way that we think doesn't require faith, or the way that we think doesn't require grace. Father, we want to think like you think, so that we can act like you act, we can live like you live. Father, I know that sometimes that means that we have to abandon our way. And sometimes our way has been built for a long time. And we've even found our identity in it sometimes. And we've even become identified by it sometimes. And known by it sometimes. And our reputation might be built on it. But if we're honest, it's not you. And so many of these things in our lives, God, they're well-intentioned and they start with good intention and sincere hearts. Somewhere along the way, we buy into a way of thinking, a way of believing, a way of acting that isn't you. So Father, would you just forgive us for where we've done that? Would you help us to let go of anything that's not you so that we can make room for and grab on to all that is you. And Father, for every person standing here, I pray that whatever it is they'd like to see left in 2019, they get alone with you, they hear you speak, and then they put faith in what you've said. And they turn their back on anything else and they walk away forever. I thank you for the grace that comes and lands on that faith when we believe it. I thank you for the grace to enable us to walk the life that you've called us to walk. And not just to walk it, but to be excited about walking it. Where we find our pleasure and our delight in living a life that's pleasing to you and worthy 
of the manner of our calling. In Jesus' name, amen.